In a matter of seconds, he grabs the other skunk's gun and goes like, Oh, Colt, and psh, psh. Weapons on the floor, hands behind your head. Everyone lie down on the floor. I'm raiding this podcast. Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Karri, your co-host of the night. And we have our guest as an expert on East Ossetia and Russian imperialism during the Yeltsin administration. Please welcome Tom Franklin. Hello, thank you for having me back. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And, and apologies already for dragging you back into this podcast even though we are not covering a Bond film. It's fine, I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> I, 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 can, I, I can actually vision that you have loads of things much better to do than join this product. But... For example, to research for this product. For, for, for example, collect stamps. A much more productive use of your time. I'll look out the window. Yeah, look out the window. Maybe paint paint the walls once <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, we have our expert Tom Franklin rejoining us, and of course we have our absolutely amazing co-host Henrik here. How are you, Henrik? Relatively well, seeing how we are still in the middle of a goddamn plague. You know, one day at a time. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't even care anymore. They could just lift all the restrictions and uh, let, let's just he- see what happens yeah, yeah, because yeah. There, there is not going to be an end in sight, I think, ever. Carrie and Henrik are here to make your lives even more miserable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's my motto. Like, like can, can you think about a situation where you would be in a solitary confinement and the only thing you could listen to would be this bullshit? Oh my God. Precisely. Mm. Well, oh right. <laughs> Welcome to the Freak Lab. You, you are. You, this is this is the most Finnish podcast on the podcast on the podosphere. The brutal honesty. What's good for Finland isn't good for the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know what, guys? We're not even talking about art today because. The director of today's film said, quote, cinema's in no way an art. What sort of art? It's not even close to art. Painting's an art. Music's an art. What a person can do on his own or can make without any help, without any means, just sit down and write. Now that's art. But in cinema, one's dependent on other people, on money, on all sorts of things. End quote. Mm. So what are we doing this for again? I, I, I guess we are, we, are, we are doing this because last week we talked about the whole auteur theory and all that shit, which was most most of all about how the director is an artist and cinema is art and director this and that. <laughs> well, this could be seen as a kind of a spiritual sequel to that episode because, well, although the director is known as a bit of an art house director or was, he doesn't consider this to be an art form. So here we go. 
Mm. But in, in, instead of the director, Curry here most definitely sees today's film as an art form. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Why, why I, I mean, our, our, our returning listeners might remember that Curry has has stated out that he has some problems with with Godfather, for example, and kind mm. of considers that film as being a piece of shit. So mm. today, on, on the other hand, we are looking at a Curry approved, highly approved, may I emphasize, gangster flick from Russia. I'm sensing some... Uh... Pins and needles coming from your end <laughs> at the end of this episode. But hey, let's have some notifications for your listening pleasure. Displeasure. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Wolf Whistle. Ever wanted one of those whistles that look like a bloody wolf? Me neither. Okay, that's the best one I could. You know, this is a pretty, pretty sad product because we don't actually have sponsors. We don't actually have guests. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have imaginary ones, in a way. However, it, you we, can send coffee. You can send us coffee now. Yes, thank you. So you can support this uh, follow-on podcast on ko-fi.com slash the Flick Lab to make it extremely, extremely complicated to find. No, but it's, it's like coffee, but with a weird spelling. Why did I make this uh, question intonation? Let's get it out of the way as well. We, you can find us also on all the social medias, the abominations of this earth. You can also listen to us on YouTube and on any podcast player that you can basically ever find. So also remember to smash that bitching bell and don't forget to leave us a smashing rating. Smash, subscribe, like, and comment. Yeah, especially yeah. comment. So we can say that you were completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are the fucking experts here. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I, I am an expert because I studied media for three years in vocational school. That makes me a huge expert <laughs> on this podcast. Where, whereas my colleague is just studying to be a master of arts. That sounds much fancier. <laughs> it, it, uh, in so, on, on some regard, it, it also is because. Once again, the emphasis is on the plural arts, which means that I have to kind of have a hang in all the art forms, at least on some capacity. And to which art form are you planning to concentrate on exactly? Are you going to be a miamor, a painter, or possibly a movie maker? Um, I, I mean, my my education program drives me to to films and audio. The university forces me to specialize on those. But I can't be just because of Finnish Finnish schooling system and Finnish universities. I can't just study film and audio, but I also have to study like video games, painting, sculpting, fucking web pages for some odd reason. Oh dear lord, isn't everything now automated with that guy who made that uh, WordPress thing? You know, wink wink, our website is also made with WordPress because I just can't be asked anymore. <laughs> With HTML or PHP, for that matter. <laughs> no, no, no. If, if you study arts in Finnish university, you are going to study HTML. So. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, does anyone use that anymore? Like, well, well Finnish the... <laughs> art students, apparently. <laughs> okay. Select color, uh, background color of the web page, black, wow. center, the logo, Viton and Entertainment and Networks. 
God, I miss the cinema, Henrik. When are they going to reopen those? Since we're talking about random things still, like I am starting to get really exhausted about all this corona crap. Mm. I just want to go to the theater, even with the risk of death at at this point. I know. But oh, oh, I forgot. In Finland, you do you one does not simply go into movie theater or the cinema because the tickets are absolutely expensive. <laughs> yup. Like, like in in Finland, you have to take a second mortgage on your house for a movie ticket. <laughs> it's sad because it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm laughing, but in inside, I'm I'm really crying. Dying, I'm dying. <laughs> That's what Finland does for you. Why did we watch this film now, Henrik? I actually don't have any kind of idea. Oh, which What? James Bond film is this? Oh, uh, this, this is, is that that really weird, like li- really grounded James Bond film where James Bond is some kind of a Takis hobo. Mm. I, this is basically a license to kill revisit. But Tom, why are we watching this film? What do you think? I don't know, man. You picked it. I don't know. Oh, did I? <laughs> First of all, it has to be stated because Sergei Bodrov is handsome. Of course, that's 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 pretty much. It. No, but it's also a great movie. So bear with me throughout this episode. You know the the lead actor is very very handsome. I must yeah. admit, let me let me just check his yeah, name. Yeah. The Daniel, his yeah, name I think it is Sergey Bodrov Junior. Yeah, Junior. His Daniel Bagrov. His daddy was is the Sergey Bodrov Senior. No surprise there. Who is a famous uh, director in Russia? So I first saw this film about ten years ago, kind of randomly was just getting my knees in deep into the cinema of of Russia and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Can I just say that the guy looks like very much like Del Toro? Someone else has also said the same thing. Yeah, this is the uh, kind of film that might make you find a lot of parallels to your own life here. Kind of like the film that we were just going through. Kind of like nobody knows, so This is the kind of film which might make you find a lot of parallels in your own life. For example, if you ever had the urge to be outside of society, this might be the film for you. Yeah, much like uh, if, if you at some point in your life have abandoned all your kids and buried a one child's corpse within within a suitcase, like nobody knows. Yeah, or we, we, have... we are not we are not searching our audiences in, no. in this podcast. No. But if you have any psychotic fucking aggressions towards the powers that be, then this is for you. This film? Possibly. Okay, film overview. So this is Balabanov's third feature film, Alexei Balabanov, a Russian neo-noir crime drama film from 1997. And it became unexpectedly one of the most successful films in Russian cinema in the 90s. Also, the fan demand garnered a sequel three years later, Prada 2. It's known for its significantly higher budget and how it is based in Chicago and Moscow and how perhaps it is anti-American, straight to your face. Well, you can find some anti-Americanism in this one as well. Oh, sure. It goes completely into overdrive but in the sequel. But uh, you can also just see it in a way that... Well, I haven't seen this uh, Prada 2 in... Ten years, mind you, but a lot how it plays out is just uh, treating the Americans as the the big enemy, like the Hollywood does for for the Russians. Mm. 
So the movie is definitely inside its own homeland, also criticized by the media. It was accused of racism and Russophobia. Let's see how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with the ra- Russophobia statement, you kind of have to take into account the fact that this film was aimed for the foreign mar- market, meaning that this is something that was actually supposed to be widely seen also outside of Russia. Harry, mm, Tom, you have been to Saint Petersburg, haven't you? I have. I, I have. I was there when Brat Two was completed, two thousand. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah, I understand that Saint Petersburg has changed a lot in the last twenty years, but well, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I remember the extremely ancient Soviet time trams that you can also, I think, have in the film. Yeah, a little bit dilapidated, which is quite good. It's a huge city. Yeah. What I found interesting in this film is that also the film wants to show you the dilapidation of the city. Precipitation. Good point. We are having kind of a murky cinematic view into St. Petersburg because everything is in this uh, gray, yellowish tinted palette, which I think is, I don't know how much they had budget for color correction, but, but no, it's some kind of a artistic way of saying that. These were pretty murky times, and I understood that they were very, very much during the 19th of Boris Yeltsin when the ruble course, the exchange rate of ruble was out of whack. For example, you see in the film the, the shotgun that costs a million rubles. It's very hard to estimate what actually things cost. So filming took place in 31 days. Cost of the film was around $50,000 at max. There are some reports that say that it was $10,000 and then it goes upwards to $50,000. Some source shows that it's coming directly from the director that it would have been $50,000. Nevertheless, a very low-budget film. The actors had to go back to their own wardrobe to get their clothes and some of them were bought from a flea market. So everything that the actors are wearing are not fitting the actors in any way. There were some awards, despite the controversy. So the movie received uh, critical acclaim and won an award at the film festival in Sochi, a special jury award, and the Fipreski Award (laughs) at the International Festival in Turin. The same awards in Cottbus and the Grand Prix in Trieste. Also, Bodrov then received the best actor at the movie festivals in Sochi and Chicago. Also got the Golden Ari's prize. Also, the whole film was captured on Kodak stock left behind from the shoot of Bernard Rose's big budget Anna Karenina adaptation, and it was starring Sophie Marceau in 1997. So, some actors were working for free, and the crew was expecting to get their money when the film would possibly have its success, which it did. And did the actors ever get their money? Or did- director just keep it i i don't know i just know that th- that was the deal that upon any financial gain gotten the people would be paid some act- actors were apparently paid also during the filming mm. it's 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 nice to know that ac- at least some actors got paid for appearing in a movie yeah this is mostly filmed in saint petersburg but the first six minutes of the film that are in Daniela's hometown, it was filmed in, I'm not sure how to pronounce this in, uh, in, in Russian, but uh, Priyazersk. 
It's called Kakisalmi in Finnish because it was part of Finland before the big bad Russia gave us some beating. <laughs> and what we have in Kakisalmi is the uh, Korela Fortress, which is Kakisalmen Linna, which is where the uh, music video in the start of the film is being filmed. <laughs> there was actually something in the spirit of Brat also after Brat 2. There was uh, a Zmurki. It's about two brained idiots trying to retrieve a suitcase filled with cocaine and murdering everyone in their way. Sounds like this podcast. Director is Alexei Balabanov indeed. Henry, go ahead. Take it over. Go ahead. Uh, no, Fall this is yours. Uh, actually your category very much and your director very much. From Balabanov, I myself have only seen Of Freaks and Men previously. So very, very much your director. Well, I don't know. I myself have also seen from him, I think, only Brat 1, 2. This is a mostly an arthouse director, but rose to fame via the Brother films. And uh, later in his ca- career, he was known for Cargo 200 and Mo- Morphine from 2008. Uh, the first one being kind of a neo-noir thriller. And uh, the latter is also kind of occurring during the Russian historical events. So he's into all of these political and historical events. And Morphine is based on a script by Sergei Bodrov Jr. Of course, during the time of that film's release, uh, Sergei Bodrov Jr. had already left us. And uh, Balabanov is compared often to Lars von Trier, uh, the Coen brothers, or Takeshi Kitano. All in all, this uh, Balabanov is a hugely controversial figure. Well, he, he likes to do movies where you have leads that could say something but then he kind of leaves all of these plot points to hang in the air and it's kind of up to you to decide what the hell was going on but it premiered at Cannes Film Festival in the uncertain regard section that sounds really weird like uh I, I we think that your product is kind of uncertain I don't know if this is going to be a hit so we're just going to show this movie in some weird ass tent back there somewhere you know uncertain regard Okay, would it be seen by scene then? Yeah. Yep. So there, there is one theory according to which this film is a statement against any kind of director, so to speak. We will get to this, but we open with a scene where accidentally our lead character Danila goes and walks into the shooting of a music video for the band Nautilus, which of course is one of the most famous bands to come from Russia at least inside Russia. You know, his obsession with that band is more scary than the murder. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. Well, he has a lot of like, things that repeat during this film. He has this tendency to go to the record store to find the, re- the record from Nautilus. But not only that, there is many repetitions that he keeps asking for something or someone. And, and he's more preoccupied during this film about everything else than the actual mission. And we can expand on that in the scenes related to those. And what was he doing down there? You know, he, um, he must have tracked the director and knew where he was filming for this music video. As far as I know, he was just storing around. He was just recently released from the first Chechen war and just happened to be there. Yeah, but no way he just happened to come across his favorite band filming a music video. Well, he didn't know that it's his favorite band at the time. Like, he's asking from the crew, like, what is this song? 
Yeah, he, he only gets chooses that, that band is his favorite band ever after he can tie the experience of, of hearing the band's music for the first time into the acts of commit, committing horrible violence. And he falls in love with it. Yeah, precisely because he beat up two guys on the filming set for a music video for the said band. Like, most likely he doesn't even like the band's music. It's just, you know, that connection. Mm. I beat up a couple of dudes during the shooting shooting of, of the band's music video. So the band must be really good, and I'm now obsessed of the, about the band. Crazily obsessed. Yup. There is a certain joylessness that I get from all the other characters except Danila. They seem to be more like operating on some tracks, so to speak. It's like a shoot them up on rails or something. Like they're, they're, They are doing their daily tasks and nobody is particularly impressed or interested in anything. They just, they just are there. I, I would say that's more of a problem with Danila himself. Yeah, murder does tend to isolate people. He, he murders people, yes, but he also has interests and he keeps up his mood throughout all of this violence. He, he, he Nothing... keeps and, and his mood appears to be kind of a constantly casually smirking mm. and and showing some kind of offbeat happiness all the time, including the times when he's actually committing acts of violence and murder, which is kind of like, dude, what the dick? He was, after all, in the first Chechen war, so he is completely unaffected by violence. He has been completely... Uh consumed by yeah. violence, one of the yeah. most and, bloodiest and, and wars that's, that you that, can that's, imagine. That's the route that usually a film like this takes. Like it, it establishes that the main character is, is a war veteran, or has lived on the streets, or had an abusive parents, or something like that. But like, like a previous lifetime experience that would make him used to violence. But Danila himself is kind of a different take here, because if we take the dude by his word, uh, and why shouldn't we? Danila m- makes repeated the notion that what he actually was, he was a clerk, he was a secretary, he was an office worker, a goddamn paper pusher. He wasn't in the battlefields holding a rifle, he was filling out documents and using the copying machine. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. and th- this is something that he says to everyone, even for the people that he trusts in his life. For example, at the time, his brother. And this is because he clearly is not interested in revealing where he was actually situated during the war and, and wants to kind of conceal it, I think, so, so not to raise any kind of concerns or suspicions to his redirection. Or then he really just was a clerk. Yeah. And that's about it. Well, yeah. <laughs> everything well, in this everything in this film says completely the opposite. So I would say uh, that he is hiding it. I I don't know. I mean, the the only thing that actually says that he has been been in the Chechen war, or and would have taken part in the actual fighting fighting, is his really casual usage of violence throughout the film. Which would be explained by being on the battlefield in the It, it would explain it, yeah. That would explain it. But once again, the film never actually establishes that, that he ever really saw any combat. 
Like that, that is a theory that the person watching the film kind of has to form within in, inside his own head. And the film never actually mm. makes any kind of a case for that interpretation. Instead, what the film itself does, it con- constantly argues against that notion through Danila and his constant claims that what he was was just a clerk. You can you can you can read it as a as Daniela simply wanting to to cover up the fact that he took part in in the actual fighting. But once again, the film itself never in any way confirms this notion. And by the end, I feel that because he repeats it so many times throughout this film that he was just an office clerk. By the end, it's uh, starting to be really sarcastic and humoristic. Like yeah, yeah, sure, buddy, sure. At one point, Svetlana kind of sarcastically mocks him uh, when he shoots her husband in the leg with a sawn-off shotgun. Um, yeah, so this, uh, there's a certain amount of that I'm getting from Danila, definitely this Russian kind of modesty and humility towards people's achievements. For example, you, you have this scene where he gets romantically involved with this lady operating the tram, uh, Sveta, and he doesn't almost answer the question from the lady. He just says that he worked in the office. Sveta almost sarcastically mocks him when when Daniel shoots her husband in the leg with the shotgun. Something like, what kind of a clerk are you, you know? Exactly. Uh, Which I myself read as Sveta questioning Daniela's kind of a mental state. Or I read it as, as such that Sveta considers that that Daniela acts so violently because he was a clerk in, in, in army and through this he wouldn't have actually seen any of the real fighting and this would have kind of led Daniela feeling immaculated and feeling that there is a, some type of aspect of being a man that he hasn't fulfilled during his military service since he didn't see the, uh, see the actual combat and now he's trying to overcompensate that in in the civilian world by being overtly violent maybe maybe he would have been just a simple clerk and he wouldn't have actually seen any real fighting like the quote-unquote real soldiers there, there is also something that you can read into the character that you could see Danila kind of as the new Russia and uh, the rest of the film, the character is surrounded as the Soviet Russia, the old world. And there's also the case that this is one of the first Russian films that so openly disregards all the old tropes of the Russian cinema. Here they are, as some reviewer pointed out, they are active, actively disregarded. And uh, uh, all this kind of uh, not touching all these sensitive subjects and trying to keep everything balanced or, or peaceful, that's gone. I have to say, I'm pretty sure that um, Danilo was not a clerk in the war. He's um, he's far too trained in violence. He's far too handy with, with weapons and the techniques. And he's too comfortable with that kind of lifestyle. Mm. Um, uh yeah yeah that that's a one take but at, at the same time like i'm not really sure if if that was what the director was in the end trying to imply because that the film altogether it it has a really funny notion and and this is why i 
wanted to emphasize when Gary brought up the, the point that the film was seen as Russophobic as it came out and, and the whole notion that this was meant for the foreign markets, uh, markets outside outside of Russia. Yeah, and, and the reason I brought emphasis emphasis on the, on that was Yo, Henrik. because there there is there is a lot of negative stereotypes that people often tie with, with Russia and Russian people. And this film kind of goes and makes a really strong argument that all those stereotypes are true. And Russia really is is kind of a modern cosmopolitan hell world where everything sucks and everybody is a horrible person and has a mental defect and violence is the only thing that matters and whatever you do, never fucking touch Russia. Yeah, it, it, it could be. I, I think there's nothing conclusive here. It could also be a situation where somehow like part of this uh, character of Danila is stuck in, in the past. Or what you see throughout this film is Danila kind of depicted as this uh, silly village idiot almost. But he just no. men, but he does ha- does have certain values. He he values his family over everything that could be some kind of a value that the the director wants to show that still is important in this new world. I don't think anything is drawn anywhere. Then you have also this uh, German character who is simply pretty much called the German. The German is kind of the sound of moral voice of this film who constantly kind of ridicules our lead character for saying or doing some stupid things, for example, saying something bad about Jews or murdering people. Yeah, that's kind of the most sound, the most likable character of the film is the German immigrant. Hoffman. <laughs> Hoffman. His name's Hoffman. Really? Yeah. Sounds, he, sounds, yeah. sounds familiar. Okay, so after trolling around in the music video shooting, he Danila gets to be taken to an interrogation by the police or the militia. He, this is quite good. Yeah, he he doesn't want to join these guys. I, I don't know what he's actually asking from Danila. Like, would you like to work in an office environment here or would you like to rejoin the army or what? I took it that he's offering him a job as a local cop. Yeah. And says that had you not been sober, I'd put you in prison. <laughs> yeah, well... I think it's even worse when you are sober, yeah. Sober. Yeah. And he didn't actually fracture this guy's arm. Oh yeah, he only only dislocated, dislocated. it. Yeah. Only. Daniela walking away and meanwhile we get this shot where we see that the officers are talking about his father presumably, uh, Bagrov Sergei Platonovich who was born in 1942 and he was a, a thief recidivist. So a repeating offender. We get to know the rest of the family pretty quick. We get to the mother's house, and the mother is all about Vietenka Moi, Vietenka Moi, because she is completely in love with the older brother of the family. The piece she, of shit. Yeah. She respects the, her older son more, who lives in Leningrad, as she calls it, of course, now, nowadays, as St. Petersburg. Finally, though, the, the area, how do you call it, the oblast, where St. Petersburg is located, it's still called Leningrad something up to this day. Mm. Look at that. Everybody's small is very pretty. God, look, 
Yes, I've seen them. But look what's more! <laughs> There's the mission briefing for Victor. The competitor, the Chechen, needs to be liquidated, he hears, because he has taken almost all of the market, or, or all of the market. But instead of $15,000, he wants $20,000 and half of it now, and gets the half. Which and that is... kind of sealed his fate. Yeah, Probably. weirdly so. Because the film heavily implies that that Victor asking for 20000 is is something that is way too much for his boss, and that's why he now wants Victor dead. Yeah, but why didn't the boss just lower the price, or just agree a different price, and why did he accept that 20000 And, and, and why, why is, why is 20000 all of a sudden so much money? I... I, I th- I saw this in a, in a way that uh, they had some big history together and this was kind of the breaking point that he has had enough of Victor, which still doesn't make too much sense. No. No, because w- once again, the, the f- in, in the film, everything costs a hell of a lot. Like, like one CD is over 8,000 and a melon is, what, 6,000? But here and we're talking about rubles, is- well, so, no. so yeah. they they are receiving as uh, gangsters. They are receiving USD, but then also on the streets they are buying with buying something that costs rubles. Well, once again, I'm going on with with English subtitles, which are kind of a piece of shit. And something I noticed is the constant use of proverb by this guy called Roundhead, who is kind of the mafia boss leading the operations, yeah. and is above this uh, Victor guy. Yeah, he speaks in proverbs. Which translates horribly in the subtitles. I could really? probably not really understand any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of most of them were white bullshit. Uh, at least when translated to English, like only only one of them made any kind of a sense. Sense. The the one at the tram. Yeah, precisely that. Yeah. So Daniela arrives to <laughs> arrives to Saint Petersburg. His uh, brother is not home. This is the point where uh, Daniela starts to wander around the city. And we have one shot during this montage where he touches the fence by the canal and it's slightly broken. So the film clearly wants to show you how everything is in a bad condition during this time. And everything costs a lot of money and nobody has money. So yeah, he decides to wander from uh, one situation to another while waiting for his brother to mystically appear. He also goes to music shop to get... Uh, some Nautilus, but everything sold out quickly. Did you guys pay attention to the fact that every time he goes to the record store, she says that everything sold out quickly, And but there's something else. There's, there's, there's always something else available. Yeah. yeah. Well, only the Nautilus stuff gets sold quickly. Did you, did you find anything else in there? Like, I, I guess I should be a Russian to dive deeper in this, but I've, I found it interesting. Why do you... I guess it's just the general way of this this film repeating certain lines. Yeah, maybe it's also the director kind of sucking the band's dick and making a point how the band's albums all sell out like hotcakes. Yeah, this is the this is the greatest <laughs> advertisement probably the band ever received. Most likely, yeah, because the band yeah. is all all over the film. Like in um, it, it essentially it is the film's soundtrack. It is a running theme within the movie, and it's an actual character in the film. 
It is. Uh, most of the soundtrack is Nautilus music. And there's a certain reason for that, of course, because the lead singer of Nautilus, I forget his name for the moment, but the re- lead singer of Nautilus was a friend of the director's. So they were able to make this uh, connection. Uh, and he worked for Peanuts or nothing. So he was very much into this project, apparently. And we have a lot of musicians from Russian circles later in the film. Yeah, giving a small cameo. Yeah. Daniela sleeps somewhere outside, no problem. Goes to black market and there is... Uh, I don't know if it's uh, probably a corrupted cop who says that he will collect so-called taxes from this German street seller. Or it could be some kind of a black market leader of sorts, but has a gun nevertheless, and it's kind of annoying, so Daniela takes him out of the business. But this proves that the Chechen didn't own all the businesses in the market, because there was somebody else there. Maybe. So I, I thought it was just some random hench guy who is ordering these uh, sellers around to collect money for his own gain. And then again, you also have to remember that when it comes to Russian action movies, at, at least as far as I have experience with them, the Chechens are always kind of the go-to bad guys and the go-to boogeymen of, of yeah. Russian cinema. Yeah, then again, the victor is known as Tartar, so, and uh, he, he he's definitely not a good person. Really? What makes you say that? Victor? Well, he, he's yeah. the asshole of this film. No? Huh? Well, he's... come on! Show some respect to a man's brother. Yeah, I'm just trolling. <laughs> so he helps the German this way and takes the gun to himself. And they go to the cemetery. This cemetery is, is indeed an actual cemetery. And also the director of this film is buried there. Because he died of a heart attack in 2013. There's a quote, city, city is a terrible force. And the bigger the city, the stronger is its force. It carries a weight. Only a strong man can get out. And which, in some way or another, fits into this whole mess. Perhaps Danila gets consumed by the evil, strong force of the city. Well, that's exactly what the exactly what the German notes by the end that this city has consumed you, and you have to go out. I think that's way too vague and esoteric. I mean, his brother is the one that soaked him into the lifestyle, not the city. Yeah, and, and Danila didn't have any problems with violence before coming to the city. Apart so, from breaking but, somebody's arm, you know. Yeah, so hey. like, like the most the city actually did to him was that it just escalated his violence from casually beating, beating people into now shooting them. Except when he arrives to the city, that's that's when the violence starts to happen, so... Well, the, there is the whole, whole music video shoot, uh, shoot where he also, you know, well, decides to basically beat everybody's ass. That's why he has to get to the city, because he got uh, in, into trouble with the local police. If what the German says is true, then everybody who lives in St. Petersburg would be a criminal, which is not true. N- yeah, precisely. Because as, 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 the, as the film kind of points out, everybody in Russia is a criminal. <laughs> I think there's a quote, is it in Brother 2, somebody asks, uh, are you gangsters? No, we're Russians. <laughs> Tram bastards. So 
Danila helps the inspector to get the money uh, that they should have paid for the trip. So that ends them with a gun, like a true gangster. So he's basically now, as we established very strongly, just fighting against the injustice in this city in some kind of a death wish way, in fact. This is where I start to respect Daniela, or Danila. Mm. I think he has a very simple and straightforward and kind of good morality. Yeah, I mean... Where he knows what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, killing people is is right and okay, but freeloading in a tram. But God damn it, not on my watch, bitch. Uh, well, he kills people, but he only kills bad people. So in his eyes, that's kind of justified. Yeah, exactly. That that, that is the uh, that is that is the running theme, and it all revolves around the family. I would assume defending the family at all costs. And he does sleep with another guy's wife, but her husband. <laughs> beat her so in his yeah. eyes again it's okay yeah totally justified yeah yeah kind of all over the place it is it's it's really hard hard to crack this film it gives us a lot of little clues but then leaves us kind of hanging in the air but there are these uh the foreigners who come to ask about some kind of a, a nora nightclub and uh, it's uh, shown that he is a bit of a village fool this guy, in my opinion, because... No, he's not a bitch fool. Well, he kind of is. No, well, he's not. It, he... it, it is. It is. Uh, well, let me give you a few examples. Well, okay. he, he doesn't speak any word of English, apparently. But then okay. he also also doesn't know what is basically a compact disc player because he shows to Sveta, like, here is the stop button, here is the play button. And Did you get all that? And she, uh, Sveta is just laughing, like, how can you... What, what, are you serious? Um, I don't think he's an idiot at all. I think he's a very, a very moral and smart man. Well, well, he he, look, it might be overdoing doing it to call him an idiot. Like they, well, they, they, it, it might just be that that he doesn't know what what is a film shoot. Like he he doesn't have have the having so, any any idea about about the uh, about the word. But nevertheless, this portrayal of the character doesn't do any favors for the theory that the director would have wanted to be racist in any way here, because he is uh, all this racism or, or, or hatred towards Jews. It's it's coming from this guy who is a little bit of a simple in some aspects. Let's say then. I don't even think he's he's simple. Well, what the hell are we going to use as the word for tonight? Uh, just I guess we differ. I mean, he guy from village. No, <laughs> I mean he knew, his, he knew his brother betrayed him. Okay, there's a kind of glimmer of intelligence in that. I think. Yeah, just a, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in that moment, but at the same time, the dude walks into a middle of goddamn music video shoot without any concept of the idea that this might be a shoot going on. Hey, man, we've all done it before. Well, n- not not me. When I see a camera crew, I usually like make the deduction that a shoot is going on. Maybe not walk in front of the camera. Uh, and I f- and I feel that almost everything that uh, Daniela comes to do uh, in Saint Petersburg is some somehow new to him. Like he has this uh, certain naivety towards the characters that he meets. It's also his kindness how he, how he treats. Uh, for example, cut or cat. 
but he but he comes there and I think that the fact that he goes to the concert of Nautilus it's also one of his ways to get absorbed into this city. It's probably his first time doing anything like that and try to kind of uh, fit in. Before we call him the village retard, we should keep in mind that he didn't have the best upbringing, you know. His dad wasn't there to teach him things. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Perfectly good excuse to kill people and not know a compact display. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, really. This is, there's so many things. Listen, I'm, really the, I'm the imperialist expert here. Russian imperialist expert. Oh, but that's you. Yeah. And I'm saying he's not a retard. Okay. <laughs> Settled. Well, but, but then again, then again, the, the be, be, being kind of a country pumpkin, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's the only thing that actually protects him from being racist. Because some, some, of, some of the things that he says and the language he uses throughout the film is, is downright heinous and would usually paint him out as, as being racist. And the only way to actually explain that away would be that, you know, he comes from the countryside or some backwoods Hicksville. And because of that, like, he really doesn't know that. Well, being anti-Jewish is kind of a not okay. Mm. And calling people darkies is kind of a, a racist thing. You shouldn't do that. Oh, I, d- I didn't have that. Maybe different subtitles. He, um... I think Sveta's husband actually called him a retard. And At least that's what I got from my subtitles. And Kat asked from him, are you stupid or something? Uh, okay, well, there's, there's a question mark over his intelligence. I guess we'll we'll settle on that, at least. Well, to to make it completely clear, I guess, is to say that he's not necessarily stupid. He's just unexposed to certain phenomena in his life. Not like film crews. Jesus Christ, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird combination of... There's a lady in the middle of nowhere ha- having the upper part of her... Bo- half of her body exposed, or at least the backside. And there's a bunch of f- people lo- looking at what's going on, <laughs> and some of them have big-ass camera equipment. I see nothing wo- going on here. Doody doody do. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a weird combination of this uh, perceived naivety of this character, but then actually not being very naive at all in certain departments. He's skilled in his own area, okay? Yeah. The, finally, the brother comes home and greets first with a gun. Like They haven't most likely seen each other in a while, supposedly. I think they have been together the last time when, when Danila was a kid. Because at the end of the film, we are also having these references to their past, what they did together. So now Danila is dining at Bros, explains to him it's not Leningrad. You could see that this is kind of a simple-minded thing as well, if, if, if Danila indeed doesn't know that it's nowadays called St. Petersburg. <laughs> the the um, evidence is just mounting up. <laughs> yeah. well, well, that can just be, you know, Russian military. Like the army hasn't yet get on get the note that Soviet Union collapsed. Yeah, I guess news travels very slow in Russia. You know, you know, you could you could be into something like if he entered the army around eighteen years of age and then has been there for what is it three years, 
and then en- entered the Chechen war directly. So he would not even know that the change has been made to the, the city name, right? Uh, so what year was this film based on? In? I'm not sure exactly, but I got the vibe that it's around the same time that the film was made. 96, 97, something like that. 96, 97, and the Soviet Union ended 91, 1990? Yeah, 1991. So that's five, six years, and he didn't know that the uh, name had changed. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 possible that the Russian army hasn't ha- is really slow on the uptake, and they they still think that they are upholding the Soviet Union. Hmm. Yeah. Well, wouldn't that be funny? Nice theories tonight. Daniela City montage is here. He goes to the disc shop again and buys clothes. And at twenty minutes, there's a car ride with with uh, Victor. He explains that. This opposing force has taken the market and he knows that we are we are weak now and therefore he is suppressing Victor's business. So he decides to pay his brother $2,000 to take this assignment that was meant for Victor, actually. To take out the Chechen. So Victor's keeping 18000 I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, which in Russia would buy you like five bottles of water. Uh, okay, but you are still talking about U.S. dollars. I <laughs> well, well, once again, once again, my, my goddamn subtitles <laughs> never uh, actually confirmed what currency they are using. I'm sure it was mentioned. So Dan does the killing. Dan does the dirty work and gets two thousand. Where and the guy who does nothing gets eighteen thousand. Yeah, the lion's share of the payment. And surprises his. Uh, older brother by saying that he's fine without his gun. He doesn't need it. Well, he has his own now, but yeah. Uh, Daniela goes to inspect the market square. In this great outfit. It's amazing. (laughs) 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 Definitely from some flea market and all. (laughs) But it's so ridiculous at his skies that it's obvious it's conspicuous. You know? I have to get one of those for Halloween. <laughs> With the watermelon too? Or... Oh, absolutely. You said it, yeah. Definitely. And the carrier pack. <laughs> <laughs> and the gun in the Sprite bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually, love to see that. We, I actually have somewhere in my hell of a long notes the the name of the flea market, so maybe I should recreate this <laughs> scene there. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously Victor was able to foresee that this is a setup mission. That once uh, he would kill the Chechen, then the group of Roundhead would kill him too to get the money back. I think it's called Round Face, Carry. I think it's called Round Head. Henrik, oh. any thoughts on that? Doesn't he even have a nickname. Uh, he does. Most not on my subtitles. Oh, really? But yep. if I go to at least the... If, if, if you can translate the Russian audio, maybe. But I, I don't speak a word of Russia, so, Russian, so... I, I'm I'm completely dependent on the English subtitling. I'm getting this directly from the Horn of Truth. Wikipedia. So it says that it's a mob boss round, roundhead played by Sergei Murzin. Murzin. Okay. Okay. But a film that... To, to, to understand the film, you actually have to study the Wikipedia page. 
<laughs> you have to study a lot of things to okay. find all the different nuances here. You, 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 actually, actually, you really kind of do. That that's something that you would have to do in order to get the to get the nuances on yep. trot, and that's kind of also a problem with the film. I don't think so. Even even without all of this, I mean, it's a great, albeit simple and plain gangster film. But once you get the the kind of a fuller picture of the film, it it definitely improves it. But yeah, 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 yeah. On on that regard, yeah, but. At the same time, it's a, a, also a film where if if you don't get the the fuller picture of what the film is trying to say and what it's trying to imply and what it's trying to to vision, you kind of are stuck with empowering all the negative stereotypes about Russian people and Russia as a country. Well, I, I thought that that part was so obvious that because there is the German counterforce, it makes it makes Daniela look pretty bad. Yeah, but basically everything in this film does does make Daniela look bad, and Russia itself look pretty bad. Well, again, this is the uninformed village guy, so that would then argue that people from the city are more civilized, and then the village guy from Russia doesn't know what he's doing socially or politically. At times, yeah, but then again, the people in the city are pretty goddamn heinous also. Like, like take Daniela's brother, for example, a man of the city, very much. Dude hasn't seen his little brother in in years. All of a sudden, the little brother shows up at his home and asks for shelter, wants to hang out with his big bro. What does the big brother do immediately? Tie mm. the brother down with the hideous mur- murder plot and set him up to be shot by his boss, who he already suspects is a- aiming to gun him down. I know. Jesus, the... fuck! I would say that he's the most heinous character of the film. So, once again, it's the one point that you have brought up, and it's making this even more complicated to understand really what is being said, frankly. Is it that the city people are idiots? As well, or is it they that they kind of are in, throughout this film, or that this is a depiction of of the city city life, which is not preferred, and you would then take rather the village idiot, or is the city people the Soviet Russia and the new world Danila who comes to the city, then gets transformed by the city in some way, and then goes back to where he was coming from, or actually goes to Moscow, yeah. You see, I'm not able to throw this together in any way with this uh, all of these little nuances that are dropped to us that I just was speaking about. Uh, Daniela re- revisits the German and then uh, he gives some food for the German probably and whatnot. And then in exchange, he will get a flat. Then he goes to his flat. And once again, there's a reference to the state of affairs in even in the big city. The lights don't work. Again, the quality of life reference. So he sets up the bomb. Apparently the director was kind of a qualified bomb maker. <laughs> yeah, this is evidence that he definitely took an active role in Chechnya. A very hands-on role. He wasn't just a clerk. I'm not really taking that that much of an evidence because what Daniela makes in the end is makeshift weapons, which is something that their army itself wouldn't have used. Like like the Sprite Bottle Silencer. 
That that's not a military technique. That that's a thug technique. Yeah. That's what you use on the streets. Perhaps that is something that you learn in the army. Also, when you're in a particular situation, these uh, tactics can be very, very useful indeed. Oh well, uh, well, once again, kind of a kind of a hard to say for Russian military. Yeah, in, I in been. Finnish army, they use silencers, like like the real real thing. They they have they have equipment in in here. I have actually read a book called the Russian Finnish War. Uh, it's pretty good. Mm. The, the book or the war? Uh, the war was terrible, but the book's fantastic. I don't rem- remember the last time that a war was fantastic, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know. Finland kind of has a constant hard on for that particular conflict. Uh, true. I may be wrong, but I don't think Mannerheim spoke Finnish until he was like 30. You're, you're Man- kind of in a dangerous war there, Ted, Tom. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, of course he spoke perfect Finnish and did not. I don't think that's true. I'm I'm just joking here. Yeah. I I mean, Mannerheim, in Finland, Mannerheim is kind of a... A god. Ne- next to Jesus. <laughs> so you're, you're almost, you're, you're talking almost of a Finnish religious figure here. He was working for the Russian army. And and, and, and this he... is, these kind of statements <laughs> here exactly are the reason why these days Kari is living in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he makes a makeshift silence and uh, there's a Sprite soda bottle and an oil filter and a decoy firecracker out of a matchbox. The director learns some bomb chemistry using some Soviet sets Anyway, okay, it it gets even worse. So Mannerheim's mother tongue is Swedish. Yeah. No, she wasn't. You're Finn, born and raised. Actually, it, funnily enough, uh, if you are some supposed Finnish Swedish person, then uh, you will be looked as a more posh Finn. So that's really? a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, only in, in cer- uh, certain circles. Yeah. When, when it comes to the cosmopolitan aspects of, of Mannerheim, you really have to be careful wording those sentiments out in Finland. Really? Yeah. You you If you if you want to really find friends in your cosmopolitan Mannerheim take on the man, well, you have to join with the leftists, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, only people who won't knife you in Finland. For making such statements. At uh, 28 minutes, we get back to the market square, and it's <laughs> kind of the the man with the watermelon. See, he buys the watermelons and uh, bombs the Chechen off screen. We will get to know later that he actually died of the bomb, and then shoots one guy guy called Sisha, <laughs> who works for the Roundhead. So wait, the Chechen died from the bomb? Uh, no. Yep. What? Um... What? I don't think he. I don't think he did die from the bomb. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, ex- w- w- wasn't the bomb simply, you know, meant to be a distraction, and he yeah. shot the Chechen because he threw the bomb away from the Chechen. Yeah, like, uh, like, like this is this is one of the moments where where the listener has to take take into a note that the way how the the actual murder is is shown in in the film, it's very very much off screen. You're act- not actually shown the actual hit play out. And because of that, it becomes kind of a nightmare to actually really say for certain how the Chechen actually died. Well, regardless, he dies. Yeah, he does. He, he does. That, that, that much is, is, is confirmed. The Chechen guy dies. It's not even confirmed. 
Well, everybody, uh, yeah. everybody yeah. says that he died. Because yeah. Round, Roundhead's friend says he was taken to hospital. He, his friend was taken to the hospital, and during this, uh, when he's giving the briefing to Roundhead, he mentions this, that Chechen died. Well, uh, well uh, at, at least Danila's brother gets a next job from, from his, his boss, which would imply that, that the Chechen died. Okay, we can say the Chechen is, was out of the market business. For sure. Well, something happened to Chechen. Yes. Yeah. And then Danila is in the back of the tram in, uh, as helped by the latest Veta. There's a weird, weird quote. Go, go. I will find you. Why would he find him? Is this a threat? Is this that I'm in love with you? See you later. <laughs> like, like, threat would be the most obvious implication what's going on here. That's how I took it. Or I took it as a translation mistake, but then I found some other subtitles online and it said the same thing, basically. Yeah, which, which kind of ask, makes you ask, like, what the hell is wrong with Sverta? Right? I will find you. I, I will find you. I, I mean, the dude just all of a... You are, you are driving your tram. Everything is peaceful. All of a sudden, this one dude just jumps at the back end of your tram and has a shootout. And doesn't leave. You don't. You don't inform cops at any point. And when you finally uh, arrive at the end of the line, the dude gets off the tram and tells you that he will find you. And then you decide that this is now that the, the man is is now hot shit, and you most definitely want to fuck his brains out. Uh, oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's it's it makes the the perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to start a. Uh, Having sexy time with this uh, guy who has guns and gets injured and get mixed up in this whole mad mess right now. Yeah, and it's even it's even stranger that she believed that he was a clerk after he got shot in the hand. Yeah, that's what I thought, but you know, I respect Henrik's theory that he is uh, he is a clerksman. <laughs> uh, who who got shot shot in the hand? Hmm? No one, I guess. Daniela. No, it was uh, somewhere around his stomach. No, his hand. No, yes. there was blood on the hand, but the but the injury was oh, okay. kind of life threatening, and he was on his bed and helped by the oh, German okay. and all. Well, you need probably all kinds of medicine for hand injuries as well, for sure. But uh, but, but but how how does how does he recover? Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, what I was supposed to ask: How does Daniela getting shot? somehow unclerk his clerkness. Because it because clerks don't get shot. Well they they do if somebody shoots at them. That's what happens in, in the shootouts. <laughs> <laughs> Bullets come out of guns and if they hit you then you get shot. Clerks right. are very well scrubbed middle class. <laughs> clerks are not bulletproof. And and on, on top of the whole clerk theory the the way how Daniela holds his his revolver during the shootout, actually w- once again is is in my opinion very clerkish way to to hold your gun because it's once again it's it, it's he holds it sideways like real real gangster style how you can see from in from a shitty Bruce Willis action films <laughs> like it's I... what what army teaches you to to hold a pistol sideways. You you can't hit shit. I have a question: Can village idiots be clerks? In Why in not? Russia, maybe. 
bulletproof, bulletproof clerks. Uh, or that's what uh, Danila is counting on. Of course, now the uh, Melonhead or whatever his name was is angry because they have to pay Victor or Tataring now. His little helper Danila is injured. I love the fish he's eating, which is so ASMR. <laughs> I love his skunk friend who just comes to drink from his cup of whatever it is <laughs> casually yeah. while he's eyeballing him. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you here? So now it works to their advantage, I guess, that Sisha is dead because, you know, or doesn't. Yeah, but why didn't, I don't know, why didn't Melonhead Roundface just find another hitman for less price, you know? That's actually a yeah. pretty good, good question. It's part of the mood and atmosphere of this film. You can't really tell for sure why things happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, Daniel is injured on his bed and somehow that now the German has popped up into this uh, flat that he is renting. And is helping out and asks the flat lady to go buy him antibiotics and etc. Even the German goddamn has a proverb up his sleeve. It's a quote, what is good for a Russian is deadly for a German, which will pay off in the end. That's a proverb. So the banana brain now stops the tram and interrogates the lady. <laughs> ah, somebody else is a banana brain now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think... Lemon or whatever it was. It's now out of fashion. It's banana now. It's hard to keep track of all these village idiots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she got Bruce from his husband. Domestic abuse is established. She doesn't... I don't know. She seems kind of tough. She doesn't seem too bothered that her husband is hitting her. And evidence of this is, well, she actually takes him back. After he does her serious damage towards the end of the film. Yup, yup. Which is once again really weird. This is Russia moment from this film. But she didn't have really that much of a choice. I mean, she could go with the mass murderer, the psychopath, or the guy who quote just hits her. You know. Yeah, I, I, I myself, I had, had I been on her shoes, I most likely, I, I, I would have first gone with. With the mass murderer to get out of the flat and make a run for it as soon as possible. <sighs> Just a shit situation to be in. All right. <laughs> so finally, he threatens threatens Sveta with a proverb, the power of a proverb. Oh. And Daniela is back in action. Apparently, he has recovered. Nobody knows how long it took, but he has completely recovered. And the new album by Nautilus has appeared. <laughs> Maybe this is suggesting that a lot of time time has passed in between. Who knows? But it's sold out, so but there's something else. There's always something else. Also, the video that he buys at some point is some kind of a pirated or copied version. And he's not too happy about that. I guess there's some kind of texts in the lower part of the film, which is bad. Goes to get a haircut, and now the... Pineapple man is uh, calling Tatarin for a meetup. <laughs> but now there's a date of Danila and Sveta. They meet. They agree to go to her flat for some food. And it's happening just before they even get to know each other's names. Yeah, what the fuck is she feeding him? Uh, well, I, I'm, you I'm, know. I'm taking that that's, that's cabbage. Noodles? I'm, 
I'm taking sauerkraut, maybe cabbage. I'm taking that's vagina, guys. Ugh. Did 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 she did she cut it off and put it on the pole? Who That's how that I'm judging, but, but Russia, you you might have a problem if that's normal. This is kink shaming. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that he was actually eating food there. I need to do better research. This is rewind. This is stop. This is volume. More of this village <laughs> stuff. Call his brother Victor for the money. Victor asks Daniela to call from another phone so he can get the phone number written down. Oh, piece yeah. of crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will this will be established in the end that this was a pretty bad thing for Daniela and Sveta especially. Daniela is suspicious at this point, clearly. I mean, Victor's mother is a poor judge of character, really. That's right, and there's the Nautilus concert. And Daniela wants to fit into the big city, in my opinion. Uh, there's the b- previous quote, something like, the big city will eat you up if you're not strong. So I guess this is him being strong. After concert, they meet Kat. And, uh, yeah, this, the fuck is, this, yeah, this is kind of a worthless role. Which one? cat i don't know i don't know maybe yeah why is she there really well i guess she's just there to add further to the whole theme of the film that that uh, daniela is good towards even the assholes i I don't know i mean cat really is not that much of an asshole well she has a lot of she completely disregards daniela and doesn't remember who is Danila all the time. And then at the first moment of opportunity, leaves McDonald's when she gets her cash and is not really even grateful for Yeah, it. I mean, she's not romantically interested in, in Danila. But it's not about romanticism. It, it's about the fact that she doesn't care for this person in any way. Cold cat. Yeah, and, mm. uh, and then again, why should, should she really care about Danila? Like they barely know each other. They have they they meet each other. Is it well? They fuck three times in in the course of the film. First on the street where where they have a quick ex- exchange. After that in the Nautilus concert, and after that in the party where Kat invites Daniela. And then you have the McDonald's scene. Yeah. Well. So yeah, so th- yeah. th- there is not really any kind of a deep connection between the two they are like casual acquaintances at best sure sure she is just a lady who is after the money even after they have spent a lot of time together you can also see at the at the party that Danila is handing some money for cat when they are when they are dancing so it's it's something like i don't know what she's doing is she some kind of a prostitute she's just there for the money no, I, I, I took it that as simply, you know, as a casual, hey, can you throw me a buck type of yeah, situation. Which she and keeps doing that. She's, I, I don't like her character at all. No. Yeah, I really did not have that big of an issue with Kat. Uh, she's just there to do whatever it takes to get some money from this guy and then, okay, bye, fuck you. Well, she really is just not trying to tie herself with Danila. Like there, there is nothing deeper going on between the two. They are not even that close friends, the two of them. Mm. 
that is somebody shows gratitude towards you, wouldn't you then just come a little bit forward and be grateful or show something, even act, but she just, no, no, just no. But wouldn't that pretty much be something that would make you quote-unquote a prostitute? <laughs> like, like you, you don't really care about the other per person, but you put up an act that you are interested because got monies? If at the core she is a horrible human being, at least you'd think she would realize that, oh, this is the moment where real human beings could show a little bit of gratitude instead of, okay, thanks for the 10, 20 grand, bye. Okay, well, it's kind of a question, what type of showing gratitude do you mean here? For the money, for keeping company. Well, definitely okay. for the money. She was, she just didn't care. Yeah. Oh, she did smile, though. She smiled. Some kind of street thug who is into LSD. Mm. I really don't share this sentiment. <laughs> what else is, is, is she? She's just selling stuff on the streets and selling LSD and keeping fake company. That's what I got. I don't yeah, even think... But, but, but you, you, you accuse her for keeping fake company and then you accuse her for not keeping fake, fake a company when she gets money. I don't even think that you like do, her. damned if you don't situation. I mean, she was handed a truckload of money from what I could get from, from this film, and then she's hardly even impressed. Like, oh, I can keep it? Okay, can I go? Bye. Just not yeah, a big fan. Yeah, yeah. This. I, I would be nowhere near my friend French circles, for sure. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> I don't even think Daniela cared about Cat. Um, he only went to see her after he got rebuffed by Sveta. Yeah, and and there is no romantic tension, like brought up between the two of them before or, or during the course of the film. I I would argue that not even in the final scenes is there any any kind of a, there is no hint of a romantic tension between the two. Like Daniela is not romantically interested in Cat, and Cat no. obviously is not romantically interested in Daniela. No, no, not in any way, sure. Yeah. Okay, so 46 minutes, Victor says, Daniela did well. Only Russians will trade now. There's a awkward moment where Daniela asks, what about Germans? Which Germans? What German? Nobody knows what he's talking about. But says he'd like to start a company, the Bakrov Brothers. <laughs> of course, there's one problem. There's a competitor called Krugli. So Krugli has to be taken out. I suppose Krugli is the reason for the raid much later on. Daniela calls Sveta a surprise call. Gets to Sveta's flat and asks once again, where's the play button here? Daniela makes the notion about this bad copy that she, he got. Sveta leaves uh, and Daniela tries to surprise Sveta because he thinks that she is about to return, but surprises her husband instead. Yeah, this scene is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! Oh, who are you? Yeah, and takes this husband's key and then threatens him to never return. I have to admit, this was kind of a dick move by Daniela. Literally. Mm. Well, yeah. It's downstairs. I mean, you can't just come to a dude's flat and just kick him out. Then calls Kat. She gave her number, apparently, at the Nautilus concert. And Kat barely remembers which Daniela this is supposed to be. Was it this Danny or this, this other Danny? I don't know. Oh, it's you. Well, whatever the fuck. Let's go somewhere. They go to party. There's a black guy who keeps the fireplace heated. Yeah, he's very brave to be there, man. 
to know that there's a lot of uh, foreign people there's also this uh, Frenchie Daniela goes to bother him your American music is shit uh, the, the Frenchie says something like yeah the, the music I like it it's great excellent and Daniela continues I told you your music is shit yet you argue and you all are soon your America will fall away we'll get you all do you understand <laughs> so Daniela thinks France is America Daniela thinks probably that France is part of NATO, so basically America. No, I I, I took it that that Dan, Daniela simply thinks that the French is American. <laughs> no. I, well, okay, I took it that he's just part of the so-called Western culture, so it's basically the same as America. You're all the same. We're gonna get you, and you're Americas. I don't think he thinks that deeply, you know. What could be, you know, could be one of those village things, not doing any favors for his character, or or the argument is that this film would be, like, pro-racism. Do you have contraceptives? Asks Kat, and Daniela eats a raw egg to sober up. Victor calls Daniela. There's some operation now available for him, as Victor is sick. Daniela has uh, now this uh, re- habit of repeating things once again. Do you have the new album? Do you have pills for headache? He finds out that there's a skunk that has been hiding for about a year. I guess you should uh, call the extermination department. No, but uh, they only recently found this skunk. And then then there is the skunk crate. One guy gets tied up. They have to wait for the other guy to appear who isn't there. It's supposedly this Krugli guy that Victor mentioned before, supposedly. But, of course... In typical Daniela style, he's more concerned about music. Do you have music? Musica jest. This, this guy is so funny. Kind of weird how he's so into music. Is into music or is he into providing some background noise for, for the next target that is going to come through the door? I just think he's kind of weird. Kind of both. Or kind of I, I really don't think that Daniela is thinking of the situation that deeply. But uh, music it is and somebody's Passing the buzzer, they take in the wrong guy called Stepan. He's the t- director on Radio One. That da- Daniela is very nice towards him once again because he's this uh, he's this kind of a nice guy that he is. Huh? One of the skunks says they are all pederasts from Radio One. Apparently, Daniela asks again for the for a tablet. It's not forthcoming. Yeah, this whole theme of Daniela treating all these mercenary missions as something lighter than air goes to. Show at least his kind of level of experience in the army to me. It is like any job for him. He keeps petting ladies, buying CDs, videos, partying, and asks for headache tablets in the middle of life and death situations. He gives zero fucks, really. Uh, really, yeah. There's a visit from the lead singer of Nautilus as mentioned, Vyacheslav Butusov, comes to the door, but Daniela is just smiling his Danny smile and lets him go informs that the party is going on upstairs, not here. So upstairs he goes with actually Vyacheslav for the headache pill. And and this party is full of these uh, famous musicians from Russia. I know none of them, only this Vyacheslav dude. Supposedly he gets his pill and goes back downstairs. And meanwhile, his skunks, they have shot one of the guys as they got, quote, nearly killed. The skunk also asks whether Danila wanted to run away. He would have if we have wanted to but he didn't so he's now back and they plan to run down the back and execute also Stepan from Radio 1 but Danila says he can he can do it himself and just 
in a matter of seconds, he grabs the other skunk's gun and goes like, Oh, Colt. And psh, psh, then asks if Stefan Guy from Radio 1 would have the new Nautilus album, Ja Blokitai. It's all about the music, man. As if nothing happened, you know. Yeah. I was a bit confused about his motives for k- killing these guys, but uh, then I realized that, oh, it's going going back again to his to his philanthropist ideals. Cemetery. German and Stepan helped to bury the bodies for some reason. Uh, yeah, why would he want any further part in this murder, you know, this Stepan guy? I don't know. And then, he, well, he seems to be so grateful for, for Brat's services that he does that, but then questions Daniela. Quote, well, what are you looking at? Daniel says this. I have saved good people and this feeble too. End quote. This is the first time the, when Daniela explaining his actions out loud. And then the German says that God is the judge of, for you. Followed by suggested rape scene when the cantaloupe head goes into the house of Sveta. So it's everything is actually suggested here. There is no visible violence actually in this film anywhere uh, common for low budget films low on effects but still after the film you have the kind of the feel that this film was quite rough and violent but it's almost all suggested violence yeah it is it is and that's also something that like most of the film i was okay with the fact that all of the violence is is off screen but i was hoping that when it came to the first hit that they pulled off the the um, killing the Chechen guy at the marketplace there I actually was hope or would have hoped and would have liked better to actually see the hit take place like like see the actual actual killing yeah it it didn't detract from my enjoyment yeah it it wasn't a huge thing for me but that's 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 the most thought out kill of the film and and the and the one that were basically the odds are most against yeah it's the weirdest moment cinematography wise where you don't if this is if this is exactly where the death is supposed to happen by in the explosion in this marketplace it's it's a bit confusing as we have noted yeah, and and e- even if if it's not the explosion, if if it's just the case that Danila shoots the guy, even in that case, it is kind of a it's it's a surrounded location. There's people all ar- all around Danila as the hit takes place. There is also the dude's bodyguards that are present in the situation, and the target itself, the Chechen guy, is surrounded by other people. I'm guessing not his bodyguards uh, or henchmen but but some guys anyways which makes the actual act of killing that much more difficult because you you have to kill a person while being surrounded by civilians and the bodyguards are there so it, it would have been also nice to see how Danila actually manages to pull it off and mm-hmm. properly see how he manages to escape the marketplace because how, how the Killing plays out is just that you get the sound of an explosion coming from off screen. Then there is a cut to the reaction of to some bodyguards as they notice that their boss has now been killed. And then there is a cut. Danila exiting the scene. He has now already left the the marketplace and is is a good distance away from it. 
and that cuts to the chase. And like there, I really would have liked to see how the actual hit goes down. Yep, true. But again, at 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 the same time, I'm kind of quite happy that I didn't see see the graphical version of of Sweta's rape. But do we see that the dog is injured after the rape? Because the dog is on the table and just making some weak noises and is hardly moving at all. Did the dog get ripped too? <laughs> who, who, knows? Who, who, who knows? Who knows? Who, who knows? Because we're dealing with this uh, Porsche for brains, <laughs> dude. Oh dear. But yeah, I I took it that the dog remained uninjured and was simply, you know, scared because rape had happened in the apartment and the dog's owner had had faced violence. But like you said, once again, due to the off-screen nature of every vile act in in the movie, it's really hard to say did something happen to the do- also to that dog. And she asks, "Would you like to dance?" And oh, by the way, this guy was talking in proverbs all the time. See you later. And at one sixteen, Daniela calls Victor during the raid that is happening in his flat now and. Daniela says he will come for a visit. Uh, Daniela goes to buy the old man's shotgun for m- a million rubles. 121, Daniela joins the party and says, The weapons on the floor, hands behind your head. Everyone lie down on the floor. Daniela kills everyone except one of them to carry out his message that anyone who touches my piece of shit brother is a dead man. Uh, does our village person of the night even understand that Victor was behind all of the misery through and throughout or does he only understand that he got his brother to an ambush here in this situation is that all or does he understand everything i get the idea that he understands everything but if so i would fucking shoot the guy he definitely knows um victor betrayed him yeah because lemon face his friend tells daniel that you know who betrayed you didn't you and um he replied, yes, um, he did know. But that could simply imply the act of setting Daniela up at Victor's flat, like luring Daniela into the trap that, that the boss had set, and not so much in se- setting Daniela simply up for all these hits and, and keeping all the money himself. He tells Victor to go to mom while Daniela goes to Moscow with his money for some reason. And if you go to Brother 2, it, hap- it happens for sure in Moscow. I don't remember if it starts there, but it's there. 125, uh, there is the, uh, the Sveta's husband. And Sveta rejects Danila, doesn't want to join him on his trip to Moscow. Can't blame her. Gives money for medicine for the husband who got injured by the shotgun shot by Danila. Yeah, she's kind of strange too. She's kind of confused. Uh, what does she want out, out of life? She's fucking Daniela, but then she goes back to her husband who beats her. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess she decided that it's better to stay in this traditional beat them up game at home and not join Daniela for the beat them with guns game. Well, that there is the effect uh, that has been reported in 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 many many of the domestic abuse cases that. There is kind of a 
weird connection, kind of like like a Stockholm syndrome scenario playing between the abuser and the abused, where mm. after a certain time and after sustaining certain amount of of abuse, the abused no longer sees self worth and yeah. kind of a develops a psychological dependency on his or her abuser and that's kind of a one thing to explain why in actually in in real life in so many cases the abused stays with his or her abuser and does not simply leave and that could be something that is playing out with Sveata here but at the same time I do feel that in order to properly establish that and establish that this is simply the behavior pattern that Sveata abides by, Sveata's situation should have gotten more screen time and her character should have gotten more screen time and there should have been more scenes that would have dealt more deeply into kind of a Sveata's headspace, which is here all but disregarded during the course of the film. At least we get a confirmation that she indeed cares for Danila as she is listening to the CD that he gave her and she's crying listening to it and stays in the domestic violence. Uh, Danila meets the German guy one last time. You said City is the force, yet everyone is feeble here. This is uh, Danila's end conclusion about St. Petersburg. <laughs> I guess he's trying to look for more tougher guys in Moscow. He also offers the Germans some money, but we return to the earlier quote. Quote, what is good for a Russian is deadly for a German, he says with a smirk on his face. We get a one more shot at the yellow tram, as it seems that Danny is reminiscing the times with Sveta. Cut to McDonald's at 1.30. Basically, we have said everything of value of that scene, I think. And at 1.32, well, uh, there is the fact that it's, well, this was shot on almost nothing, and there were no no permissions gotten for any of the shooting. We see a lot of brands here. We see Sprite, we see McDonald's. Probably none of them were in on any level partners in this film. Maybe McDonald's, the fact that we have McDonald's, that, that is also some kind of a reference to the changing times in Russia. Yeah, I took it that simply as a, as a you know, the, the cha- change that happened in, in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union, when Russia kind of became more westernized. Perhaps, you know, Kat could be the most capitalist person of, of this film, and not seen in, at least in my opinion, not given any kind of a positive light in the film. Basically just a person who is, as we have stated already, a person who is in it for the money and has no has none of those traditional family values and morals and eats at the McDonald's. 132, there is the wintry road. Daniela gets inside the truck as he is hitchhiking on the road and he repeats this uh, old line, you know I was a military clerk at the headquarters. Again, he wants to put on some music and this is how we, this is how we end the film with the last quite beautiful shot or what is beautiful here is the nature most of all and Kind of a Finnish-esque landscape, this uh, snowy road into the unknown, in the middle of nowhere. Daniela mentions that he's heading to Moscow. We have the last last shot and, and credits. So that there is your scene-by-scene analysis from us, truly. 
And that's the film. Here is uh, one interesting quote from one review that might give you some light on the actions of the characters. Quote, the contrary dismissive view of Russian audiences is best expressed through the actions and remarks of Viktor Bagrov, by far the most cynical director in the film, so-called director. Note that Viktor not only lies in order to get his brother Danila to commit and catch the heat for the murder of the Chechen, he also lures Danila into the crime by pushing all the right nationalist buttons, acting on the belief that his recently demobilized younger brother is also a stereotypically bigoted village idiot from deepest Russia, which, on a fundamental level, Danila certainly is. It is nope. in this. Uh, yep. It is in this sense, I think, that the film is at once anti-capitalist, philosophically conservative, and a somewhat different matter, deeply anti-Soviet. Well, I don't know how you would even get that. Uh... I I know you you can get that from some of the scenes, and then you watch at other scenes that doesn't really communicate that. If the village idiot is the leading star of the, star of the no. night, he is. Well, well, okay, but, but Danila, he he has these anti-Semitic ideas, so, and, and, and I think that's well. Okay, I guess I shouldn't say that either. Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, he does have anti-Semitic feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I can't say that that's necessarily Soviet or anti-Soviet. I can't make heads or heads or tails. Um, he didn't strike me as an Id- as an idiot for sure. Another quote: the older transformative or humanist reformist ambitions of Soviet cinema are not only gone, but they are actively rejected. And the only pedagogy here involves teaching filmmakers, especially Hollywood-oriented filmmakers, a new way of thinking and working. End quote. I have no idea what that means even. Yeah, that one I myself can't really wrap my head around of. A lot of this is just something that I can't, I can't personally fit into the film when you put all of it together. Regarding the cameos there, as we discussed, there's Vacheslav Putusov and there are members of Nautilus Pompilius and Sergei Chikrakov, Nastya Poleva, band members of Aquarium, band members of Colibri. Sveta learned for her role to operate a tram and also the truck driver at the end is a cinematographer from the film because they realized that the only person who can legally drive a truck is this guy. More quotes which may help you out here is it also taps into Russian folklore about the naive hero who triumphs the way the hero insists that he was, quote, just a cook in the army despite having terrific marksmanship skills. The improbability of presenting Danila with an innocence of and childlike smile to the very end or his unforced and easy manner, optimism, openness and generosity even to those who betray him even as he kills with an easy calm, even in the midst of combat. And at the end, as we watch him slide back to the practiced lines he uses to implying he never saw combat, it seems not like he's lying, but as a line he needs to use to shield everyone and himself from his lethal ability, and which we want to believe knowing it probably isn't true, and never have I wanted so much to thank a critic for so succinctly and surgically positioning a movie in its context its role in a culture, a people, a time, and in the body of work of a director as I do, Mr. Vishnevetsky, end quote. Yeah, that one I can see par- uh, partly, but but not fully agree with. It's a film of separate elements not fitting together like a puzzle, with wrong pieces, but you still have to figure out, but you don't. Favorite performance? 
Danila for sure. Yeah, this goes to Sergei Bodrov Jr. for sure. Eric? It, yeah, it kind of goes to him. They, this is not a film of of any any kind of a really strong groundbreaking performances in in my opinion. Mm. Bodrov maybe is 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 the best here, most most natural. Then again, uh, with that remark, we kind of also have to remember that it has often been remarked that Potro here is not so much playing a character as he's just, you know, being himself. Right, which... and this was mentioned in some reviews that after this film, Sergei Potrov Jr. became some kind of a real role model for the young people on some level. And his death a few years later was a great tragedy for the nation because everybody seemed to like like him from the youngsters to the to the grandmothers the more important about sergey Botrov junior is that he appeals to the people of his generation in a way that the, i guess the mannerisms are something that appeals to young people hence his huge fame which counts more here than or weighs more here than his acting ability Favorite shot? Well, there's a nightly medium close-up of Sergei where he's on the left side of the frame and he smokes. And behind him is the one of the bigger canals of St. Petersburg. And it's been used in some article still shots. I like that one. I really loved Roundhead eating the fish. <laughs> yeah, I go with the same so- shot. Really? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Really? Yep. Hmm. Okay. Why, in God's name? I, I thought that this was uh, artistically really well shot. It's uh, pretty, and cinematography kind of gives room for the spaces, which I tend to gravitate towards. There's a lot to choose here. For example, some of the cemeteries shots I did like. Whatever, guys. Favorite scene? I'll just go with when the tension kicks in, in the market square. There's a great scene where Daniela walks into his brother's home and points the gun at the guy who's at the table and silently tells him to get down on the floor, which I thought was very good. Mm. He kind of gestures towards him. Yeah, I take the making the homemade weapons and knickknacks. Okay, favorite line or lines? Mm. It was quite funny how Daniela referred to Hoffman as the German all the time. It's quite funny. It was quite funny when Daniela went on to to a guy's flat who was having a party to ask for aspirin, and the guy just remarks that better drink vodka instead. Like, that was yeah. You, you you just you just keep on rushing Russia. <laughs> I would take another party where Daniela goes to this rant. Your American music is shit. La musica est très bien, excellent. I told you your music is shit, yet you are you, and you. All you are, soon your America will fall away. We'll get you all. Do you understand? Favorite kill? Uh, from my end, it would be the flat assassination. Oh, yeah. 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 You mean the raid one number one or the raid number two? Uh, number one. I was really happy to see the pierhead bite the dust. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite too. Though there was nothing glamorous about it in so far as there's anything glamorous ever about killing anyone. Great weapon too. Yeah. Son of shotgun. So random confusing question. So that role model thing 
Is Danila a great model for the Russian youth? <laughs> yes, he is. I, I, I'm. I, I would say, and th- this is by the implication that the film itself gives to me. Daniela is very Russian role model for Russian youth. As a badass, as an unstoppable force, maybe, and not uh, not uh, as an uh, anti-Semite. Uh, uh, <laughs> I admire his morality quite a lot. So in parts, but I don't think you can go universal with that statement, right? <laughs> I think no, I can. No, no, the man is a kind of a murdering. Keep in mind, he only kills bad people. Yeah. Well, he he kills people that that he deems bad, himself deems bad, or who are told to him that are bad. But the Chechen was definitely up, up to no good. Most definitely because he was a Chechen. Oh. <laughs> right? At least he has the nickname Chechen. Who knows? But yeah. Or just he's so racist that he assumes all Chechens are involved in dodgy shit. Well, that well, kind of kind of is the implication that, that there flies and often flies in, in Russian action films. Like, once again, when the Chechen is originally mentioned in, in the film... It is in in the context of of Chechen being a terrorist. Like he's not even a criminal. He's a downright terrorist. That's the accusation that is thrown against the Chechen. And you never actually see this terrorist side of the Chechen character. Uh, Once again, I I don't think there's any kind of a strong moral story from the director in any way in this film. But the fact that we have to consider is that Danila is coming from the first Chechen war. Uh, therefore, if there's some guy called Chechen, he's ready to kill the guy immediately. Or not, because we also know historically that there was a lot of uh, Russian soldiers that were highly discouraged to carry on with the war. They even threw away their own weapons during the war and refused to fight and went to court and all that. So the morality was low. or the uh, Morale. Morale was pretty low. And the morality, I guess. <laughs> what drew you out? Mm. For me, I have nothing to say. No, I have nothing. The, the film was a bit too all over the place for me. Like it was at times, it was really hard to hard to actually say what the film wanted to be and what it wanted to say. Quote, as ingenious as it is as a genre exercise, it remains unresolvable, its doubles and oppositions still tantalizing almost two decades on, end quote, from one review. Mm. Yeah, which kind of also implies that you can't make heads or tails about the movie. It does. It's good if it's uh, supposed to be some kind of a think piece and eventually there is some kind of point to it. But... uh, yeah, I can't make heads or tails like you. What drew you in? I like the cin- cinematography and the hidden references and not so hidden references. And they might be very inconclusive, but at least they keep you interested in the, the fi- to the film throughout and keeps you wondering about the moral standings of the characters or lack thereof. I quite like the proverbs from Head. Yeah, which made uh, not much sense most of the time, right? For us, with the subtitles. There was a kind of tonal shift that happens in the film once once Daniela gets to the city. 
and and leaves the countryside. And I would say that that maybe was was a, a, an effect that drew me into the film at least a bit. Like there there wasn't a big standout moment after which I would be with the movie really strongly. But I I at least did take a notice notice on on the or the slight shift in tone that happens. Oh, all right. What would you change in the film? What, how would you improve the film Scissors of Sacrilege? I would kind of change the ending. It's kind of a lame ending. Hmm. I wouldn't really touch it, but if I were able to do my own <laughs> kind of a different version as opposed to this, then maybe we could, Danila could confuse the audience a little bit further and just shoot the brains out, out of the truck driver and throw him out. So now the city would have consumed him and made his evil heart beating. Yeah, I I would actually add more on screen violence and not not not, not keep all the all, all the violence so off screen as as the film does. This is something that like mentioned bugged me during the, the market square assassination. When it comes to the messaging of of, of the film and handling the characters and a possible message that the director wants to bring out in in a form of themes and perhaps with uh, in in character motivations i would have given a bigger role for sveata study her character a bit not necessarily even with new scenes but to to kind of a reframe and rework the scenes that he, she has so that if her sticking with her abuser and abandoning Danila at the end of the film. If if that really is kind of once again a psychological effect for standing a long time in an abusive relationship, I would have actually brought that aspect out more in Svelta's scenes. And when it comes to the message of the film, if the film indeed did have a a bigger, deeper message, I would have made it more clear. Because I I do have make the case that I and I do myself I do believe that the film wants to have uh, and wants to make a message about the ramifications that that the uh, the collapse of Soviet Union had mm-hmm. for Russia and Russian people about the corrupting nature of the Western influence that started to seep into the Russian society after the collapse yep, and. Yep. Also, these problems that stem from deep economical and political problems like corruption and the kind of a worn out nature of of the Russian society at that point. I, I do strongly believe that these messages are in the film and are meant to be with the film. But once again, as a film that is meant for the global audiences... And meant for the the foreign mar- film market, I do kind of feel that that message is not brought up strong enough, which leads into a problem with the film because on the surface level, the film, or at least in my opinion, it just kind of confirms and empowers the the negative stereotypes that people have about Russia and Russian people. And that the fallout of that is that if you want to find the, the director's message from underneath all the surface level implications, in that case, you have to kind of study 
and understand the the uh, understand Russia and the uh, and ramifications of destruction and fall of the Soviet machine and what it meant for Russia. What Russia was like in the 1990s. But it's that's the, once again mm. is is maybe something that I, I would argue most audiences will not actually see that effort. They will not put up the work, which means that they will only take like the, the surface level of text. And the surface level of text, in my opinion, just you know goes on to confirm and empower the negative stereotypes about about Russian people. Because on visual level, what the film argues is that Russia really is the hell world that people perceive it as. Russian people all are blood psychopaths and there really is no any redeeming quality to Russia. Perhaps it's all about the atmosphere and the chaos of those times. Just trying to depict the feelings of those times via different characters where maybe everybody is kind of lost here. Nobody knows what to stand for or where we should stand because it's all over the place. Yeah, it it could be, but once again, that's uh, that's a reading that you can make once you do look at the film uh, in a more deeper level, and once you have a larger understanding of of Russia of those times and and the and the Soviet Union that preceded that Russia. But that that's also that's once again that's something that that maybe you and I are willing to put up the work for. And we are the weird assholes who who host the film podcast. So that's kind of the bread and butter for us. I wouldn't kind of see that, you know, your your average film-going show would really see that in Prat. And that might actually end up being quite a problem because then again, what reading that person then could take from the film is that I have always believed that Russia is a violent shithole and Russian people are all assholes. And well, here, look at this. Here here we have a Russian film that actually confirms all my biases. When you look at the later works of this director, they mentioned Morphine from 2008. That is exactly about what you have been talking about. It's It's about the collapse of the Soviet Union and how it changed Russia and all the related struggles of the 90s, economically and otherwise. And uh, I would argue with you that this is definitely in the same category. Yeah, but yeah, it, it could be that Balabanov's kind of a messaging, the themes that he wants to bring up and and his direction of, of a movie, it gets kind of a tighter uh, as, as he makes more films, as his body of work evolves. And it, it might be that this is just, you know, the growing pain pains of of his early career. This is his third feature film. So maybe maybe the mishandling of heavy and and large themes is is kind of a result of of this being still an early piece in his career. But this still was a film that was in large part, meant for the foreign audiences. And okay. and for those audiences, this might be a, very easily be a film that actually gives the audiences outside of Russia the wrong message. At the same time, I don't think anything is accidental in this in this film. By the way, when you mentioned the, the implied violence and the lack of shown violence, uh, 
you have to also take into account, of course, that this was done on a shoestring budget, but still they were able to give you a lot of external shots. The, most of the film is external shots, in fact, which would be normally very expensive to do, but some, somehow they managed to do it. So I will raise my hat for that. Yeah, for, for, for its budget. Uh, I, I would say that the, the cinematography and the filmmaking itself, it, it is pretty high quality for, for something that has been shot for for something like 50,000 US. Yeah. The, the Wikipedia uh, kind of guess for the budget, it, it varies between 10,000 and $20,000. And, and the highest estimate that we have is $50,000. And that's right. like jump chains change in in filmmaking and for, for such of a low budget the film actually manages to be quite well shot ex- especially on the ulterior shots that we have right three adjectives to describe this film for me it would be simple but at the same time deep and thought-provoking even if it's not leading you anywhere romantic uncomplicated romantic philosophical on my end it's Russian, because this most definitely is. No, Ukrainian. <laughs> not, not, not with all, all the disgusting fish eating that happens in the, in the film. <laughs> it, 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 it's also bleak, both, both in its, its kind of a messaging and its cinematography, and it's harsh on its nature. Yeah. Did you look at your watch during this film? No? Nope. nope. Would you recommend this film? Yes, absolutely. But it gets, as we have noted, already it gets a little bit harder to point out to you all the reasons why I guess you should watch it. But as a gangster film, as performances go, as a curiosity of this film and its themes that we couldn't fit together in this episode, yeah, please still watch it. Uh, This is uh, one of the most interesting films from Russia that I have seen so far. So from my limited experience, I can say that. I'm really mixed on on my end. Uh, yes, kinda, but would be once again, it, it, it would be really kind of a lukewarm recommendation for me. As as a genre piece, I don't think that this is the one of the strongest films of it, of its genre. Like in in gangster films, in crime movies, I I could go on and name. Whole bunch of films that I feel do the genre better than Prat. As as some kind of a the Godfather killer. Yeah, yeah, not not seeing that one at all. When it comes to the performances, I wasn't that taken by them. Uh, nobody was particularly terrible, but I I didn't see any any shine out performances either. To me, the performances were mostly okay. And that's what's kind of a, my whole experience with the film. It, it's okay. The okay, performances uh, are okay. On technical side, it's it's okay. There, there are really good shots, really good cinematography. At the same time, there are really typical technical flops. Like, for example, disturbances in, in focus, uh, focusing and the focus of the image. Nothing major, nothing that would in any way break the movie for me, but something that I quite often see see in crime films. 
you're typical fuck-ups, so, so to say, and, and something that are really hard to, to kind of work around. So I, I'm not holding those against the film, but it's once again, it plays into the okay territory, okay nature of the movie, where I, I've seen this, the, the, the same aspects. Good cinematography and, and small technical fuck-ups happening quite often. Let's highlight something here that we might have overlooked, though we have touched on it in in some way. The fact that this was a super successful as mega smash hit at home and one of the most successful films of 90s in Russia. The reason being, I would suppose it comes more to the fact that this was a different type of filmmaking in Russia after the Soviet years. There's a certain amount of freedom or there's also the fact that the at the time, it was almost impossible to get any decent government funding for your films. I'm not sure if Brat got anything from the government. If it was, it was basically peanuts and nothing. So this is some kind of a statement. Yeah, we can pull this off with next to nothing. Of course, there's also the fact that the director didn't want to speak to financiers, potential financiers, about his script for the film because of how simple it looks on the pages, at least. And suppose he just wanted to just wanted to try something with a lower budget as well i don't know but anyway it it struck into some chords in the russian society clearly and became a huge hit on vhs when it was released in uh, 97 yeah and you know kudos for director for that like i i i do kind of admire the fact that he was able to do the film with with shots of a small budget, and I'm quite happy for the director and the film for the fact that it managed to become a hugely successful movie in in Russia. But once again, that uh, also kind of didn't do that much for me. To to me, this is a movie that is very strongly in the okay territory. All right, so complete the sentence, please. You really know you're watching Brat when... I fucking hate this question. Well, you really know you're watching Brat when you're not sure on which brother the film's title is referring to. When you use vodka as a hangover remedy, like a true Russian Kopnik. When you use vodka as a hangover remedy. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. Yes, I'm going to give... Yes, I thought of Henrik's answer before Henrik said the answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, approved. Thank you. Would it be time to donate our our lab coats for the local mafia? Since we can't afford new ones anyway, we might as well join the mafia next week. Well, that could be the best way to make money with this shit. Well, there it is. Yeah, so how much have you made so far from this podcast? Silits. Silits. Fucking nothing. Really? Yeah, this is just a money sink. <laughs> I'm actually actually waiting for the days when we finally make a couple of bucks. <laughs> at that point, I can I can say that we have finally sold out. So we have we have crossed out every every box on the checkbox list of what you can do with a podcast. We have had a Facebook fight. We we ha- we have branched on multiple pl- multiple platforms, and we have sold out. And after that, we can quit. <laughs> Oh, really, where's the Facebook fight? It's in the Hellraiser 1 episode Comments. post. Oh, Henrik just can't wait 
for this shit to be over. <laughs> then I can see that we have actually kind of, we have achieved everything that we can achieve. Yeah. And what's the point going on for, forward after that? Well, once we have crossed all the green lights, we have gotten everything practically working here, then we can quit the show. Well, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> but Henrik, what is our next film? I I don't I don't know. I I'm guessing something artsy and something that nobody will ever watch. Okay, I, I will give you no options actually. Would it be Metal Bali from 1927? There's a bit of a problem. I don't have this film, and I believe I should have it on Blu-ray so so I could enjoy all the different extras and discussions about the different versions. Y- so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also have another problem with with Metropolis, which is. The fact that it has like five million different versions. Mm. That oh. there's the original release, and then there is the original, but now once lost footage in it release, and then there is well the same as previous, but now there's even more lost footage in its version, and it just kind of goes on. And the censored version or versions. Yeah, there's the version with which Hitler did. Not lose his goddamn marbles and and become all, all but homi- homicidal. It basically just has the opening and ending credits. But but if you are looking for the disc on on that film, my recommendation is check, double check, triple check, fucking quarter check that you have the la- latest version, the most complete version of the film. Because even I don't, I, I'm not entirely sure how many different versions there are about Metropolis at this point. So basically the latest version is the most fullest version and the rest of the films are, versions are just the chopped versions. Well, Something hopefully, like I don't know what is the latest version. Like you, you, first you have to have to find the latest version and then you have to compare the running time to the runtime to every other version just to make sure that that is the longest. Okay, dear listener, maybe hold on on that, on that thought. We will... Uh, <laughs> Maybe bring it on some other week than next week. But uh, next week, would it be <sighs> a trip to the moon? I can't wait for that. Are you not talking about the silent film? Yep, I am talking about the silent film. Okay, okay. Just had to make sure that it wasn't a, what, 1890s sci-fi action horror thriller moon trap. But yeah, why, sure, why not? Let's also cross out your weird... Silent films off the list. Okay. Will you take uh, Sprinkler Sprinkles with that? Do we sprinkle some sprinkles on it or no? This is kind uh, of the defining moment. Two or one film of short film episodes. Let's just go with one. It's set in stone. Doesn't really mean on any level that it's going to be less work, I'm sure. I'm already fearing that not because also that film is kind of a nightmare to research. This is the Flick Lab. Yeah. Plain torture. Yeah. See you next week. <laughs> and thank you, Tom, for helping us out once again. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Imperialist expert. It's a pleasure. Alright. Put this one in the books. I liked it uh, cinematography, uh, cinematography, giggly.
I think that Daniela is far better looking than Sveta. Ooh. Um, he is kind of a handsome chap. Oh, yeah. Mm. 60 seconds in, technical problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should really get more radical then. Let's do some big fucking movies then. <laughs>